Building a foundation for tomorrow's naval aviators, the Bell 407 GXI is the next generation advanced helicopter training system offering exceptional value and proven reliability. See the Bell 407 GXI in action at bell.co slash Navy 407. Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast. I'm Ward Carroll, the Naval Institute's Director of Outreach and Marketing. We have a very special episode of the podcast today. We're here in an undisclosed location in a bunker in the basement of Nimitz Library on the, the Naval Academy grounds. Special guests today, Midshipman First Class Luca Bakic and Midshipman First Class Liz Loyal, the two principals who are basically, from the Midshipman point of view, running the Naval Academy Foreign Affairs Conference. So let's start by explaining to the listeners what the Naval Academy Foreign Affairs Conference is. So at a 30,000-foot level, Luca, what is the Naval Academy Foreign Affairs Conference? Absolutely. So um, every year we bring in about 150 delegates from all over the world, um, and that'll be typically about 30 countries, um, 80 different universities or so. And we talk about some kind of pressing theme in foreign affairs. It's, it's a lot of kind of legwork to figure out what that is. And this year we're talking about uh, coming apart the fate of the rules-based order. Um, so what we'll typically also do is bring in senior advisors that are um, members of the military. We've had federal executive fellows. We'll have um, ver- various offices represented from the Pentagon, ONI, et cetera. And we all come together to listen to the best practitioners and uh, theorists in foreign policy discuss pointed questions about the, the current state of the world and then uh, what is to come. So this is how many years has NAFAC existed? 69. This is 69. 69. Um, so I remember when I was a mid back oh, in the dark ages. 59. Well, sorry. 59. Yeah. <laughs> okay, 59. 59. Um, and so that's a long time. And I remember the first time we all sat down uh, when we were talking about the Naval Institute helping in, in whatever ways were meaningful. You guys had mentioned some of the change that has literally happened as a function of NAFAC. Off the top of your head, what are some of those things that have happened through history? One thing I'll start with the constants first. I mean, it's been it's been great about um, it's been true to its purpose in spreading uh, discussions of foreign affairs with delegates um, here, and then giving midshipmen the experience to um, really make those connections and also grow their base of knowledge to, to be better informed. I guess in the future, um, what has changed though is simply the scale. Um, Started off very, very humble conference. I, re- I read some of the founding documents, if you will, um, and it's these letters to the superintendent proposing this very bold conference. And uh, the first year it was... I mean, was it midshipman initiated? It, it was midshipman initiated. Okay. And so the, the, for the first conference, it was like, this is uh, not enough time to plan this, no. Um, and so um, <laughs> o- over time, of course, it developed and um, uh, each year it's grown more and more. We've uh, kept constant the number 150 for delegates, but where we've been able to expand and really focus this year is... Uh, outreach for our, where our conversation really ends up and what we produce at the end. So um, we've we've started to bring in more advisors. We started to bring in general attendees and really make the conference something that is both beneficial for midshipmen, but also has an impact on connections with officers in the fleet and then current decision makers. Let's back up first, and I probably should have done this first off. Liz, talk a little bit about where you hail from and how you decided to come to the Naval Academy. So I'm originally from Dallas, Texas. And I 
So my sister is a class of 16 grad from the academy. And when she went off to the academy, I was a sophomore in high school. And she hated it here, her plea here. <laughs> she talked about leaving. She she was pretty unhappy. Um, and I remember being a sophomore in high school and watching her and thinking I would never do that to myself because that looks miserable. Um, but she decided to stay, obviously. she's a Did you ever visit while she was a plebe? Had you, did you come for eye day or anything like that? I did come for her eye day, yes. And I was so confused by the whole thing. Yeah, what was your first impression? Um, chaos or chaos i thought i don't want to cut my hair like that that looks bad (laughs) (laughs) but you didn't at all see yourself coming no no we don't have a a strong tradition of military service in my family i mean we've had people serve my dad was enlisted for four years in the 80s but i didn't grow up in a military household what branch he was navy okay Mm -hmm. but uh, like i said she decided to stay and when she was a second class i asked her about her decision too because she was seemed she seemed so set on leaving when she was a plebe and she spoke about the relationships she had made here, the the friendships that seemed to be deeper than friendships. It was the kind of bonds that I realized I really wanted out of my college experience. Um, so the more I thought about it, the more important that became to me. I went to summer seminar, which we can we could we could talk more about whether or not that was a good a good influence on my decision or not. But um, but was it an influence? Was that exposure helpful or? Obviously, it must have been, because if you hated that, too, I doubt you would have come here. <laughs> it was helpful. I think having my sister, Rebecca, be on the outside of that experience and say, like, listen, that's not really what the academy is like. You know, they're trying to show off certain aspects in this one week they get. Yeah, let's the explain to the listeners what summer seminar oh, is. Oh, sure. <laughs> it's like a week-long summer camp, basically, that the academy runs towards the beginning of summer. It's like three weeks in June. Um, when you're and, between your junior and senior year of high school, how old yes. were, are, are the summer seminar attendees? Rising seniors. In Rising high seniors. Okay. Yes. And they come to the academy and it's like. Kind of treated like plebes yeah, a little bit. Yeah, it's like a tiny condensed yeah. version of plebe summer. Okay. But um, that's not at all. I mean, that's plebe summer is even only some portion of your academy experience. It's it's tiny compared to the four years that you have. So, yeah. And then when I, I decided to apply and then when I got in, it was like, well, if this institution is willing to take me, I should probably go because not an every day you get an opportunity. Like okay. This. You're about to graduate. What have you done for service selection? I'm going Navy Intel. Okay. Um, you know, both are, um, and you've met Bill Bray, but uh, both the editor-in-chief and the deputy editor-in-chief are Intel officers, mm-hmm. career Intel officers. Okay. Luca, how about your background and, and, and how you made your way to gate one on I-Day? <laughs> Uh, a little bit different of a story. I mean, um, yeah, just slightly. <laughs> so originally from uh, Belgrade, Serbia, I actually grew up over there for for about fourteen years. My decision to come here was, I mean, largely idealistic, and I think think that stays to this day. Um, in in ninety nine, when the bombing happened over there, um, as part of Operation Allied Force, my family was actually sort of caught in the middle of uh, of the conflict, and so. We had uh, gone to the outskirts of the city, and we spent a good three months there, kind of in and out of bunkers. Um, and so, at, at no point, obviously, um, were there was there any targeting of civilian targets and things of the sort. And um, I don't I don't remember it. Some of my earliest memories are the, the sound of the siren, and so, I mean, t- to the point where my first uh, first baseball game here, I. I heard the fireworks, and I mean, I um, I was about eleven. I hid under my seat, and I started crying, and it was this very violent reaction. Wow! Um, yeah, just to, to remind everybody, what Luca's talking about is those bombs were American strikes on Serbia during the Kosovo campaign. You know, so you you had mentioned when we were talking uh, in the early days uh, or the planning meetings that that, that was some of your earliest memories are, are is that. 
I guess the one the one night that I personally don't remember, but was kind of the the deciding point to this day remains a, remains a motivation for me or the enduring thing that guides me through. Asks me makes me ask, what if? It was a particularly bad night. There was some sort of car factory nearby uh, where we were staying, and the entire family, sort of not not knowing what would happen, thought that that would be it. Um, so my mother um, took me out to t- took me out to our terrace there, and you, you can sort of see the the hillside from over there. And all of a sudden, as um, as as this campaign is progressing, there's this what looks like some kind of missile that's heading straight for this hill where we live. Um, so um, I, don't, I don't know exactly what that is, but some distance away, um, it shoots up. It goes across, comes back down, and hits its objective over the hill. Yeah, it's a tomahawk for sure. Yeah. You know, what you just described would be a tomahawk. And just just thinking about the fact that because um, because we had good intel, um, somebody did their job and they hit their intended target. I'm alive and here today is uh, pretty pretty powerful and uh, gets me up in the morning. I love that. So you guys came to America. Talk to me about that process. Moved here when I was 14 and um, went went back and forth between schools, but. Got a real, um, real sense of. I, I felt. I felt very indebted. Um, m- my future back in Serbia would have would have been something to the effect of, you know, tr- trying to scrape by, um, struggling to get an education properly. I mean, really, just living in a war torn uh, place, um, not not doing much. And um, it was that sense of debt that I felt, to just the opportunity that I was given, um, and the the fact that I could grow and realize my potential and. Uh, I, I knew that I needed to serve and give back in some way, and so. So, how did you hear about the Naval Academy, and how, how did you? How did that appeal to you? I mean, obviously, what you said is very powerful, but how specifically did you come to learn about the Naval Academy and, and go through the admissions process? Uh, so, the academy specifically, there was a um, a graduate from the class of '15 came and spoke at our um, uh, at, at our award ceremony. I guess um, about a week before um, our graduation. So, so, this was my junior year before senior year. Um, and he spoke about the importance of this place to him and uh, service. And I mean, it, it really clicked with me right there. And I knew that um, this this is how I would give back. Um, I thought the most immediate and impactful way that I could give back was joining the military and specifically the uh, the Naval Academy. And then after that point, I mean, it was a visit um, and uh, I fell in love with this place. So, And you were selecting, I know the answer, but I'm going to let you say it. <laughs> Submarines. Okay. So you've both chosen poorly. Um, <laughs> naval aviation was the right answer, um, but uh, no, that's fantastic. Um, so let's let's turn the the topic to um, to the to NAFAC and specifically uh, what what we've heard from the panels and what you guys have seen at the breakout sessions and and so forth. And I, the one we just listened to had uh, and and I should also point out that you, you guys have had panelists who are of the highest level. Um, I mean, this is no minor league event, as you described when you talk about the history of NAFAC. Um, but some of the rock stars who've, who've been here, we, we had uh, Brett Stevens was on the, the panel the, the panel yesterday, New York Times writer. Today it was David Ignatius of the Washington Post. Um, last night, Admiral Roughhead gave what we call in around the Naval Academy as a forestall lecture, which is a very serious fill, um, the uh, arena kind of a lecture and he's former chief of naval operations and he ran pacific fleet and you know kind of have been there done that kind of guy and academics who probably don't have much name recognition on in the general audience uh but who nevertheless are are pretty amazing people to hear from and and so what i've noticed um and it was interesting how professor ernst uh was was talking about the poster 
that that you know the the new world order. What what's the theme of this NAFAC? Uh, so so the theme of uh, this NAFAC is coming apart. The fate of the rules based order. Okay, so I think he rightfully pointed out, and I want your guys' sense of this. That that's sort of a, I mean, literally, he said the sky is falling. Sort of an, an, an approach. So let's just talk about the attitudes of you guys and your classmates um, about what's happening in general. Are you guys optimistic about the future? Is there great cynicism? How, how as you're about to get commissioned and go be, you know, regular, not mids, what, what's your sense? Liz, how, how about you, you answer that one first? Hmm. It's been interesting. We we definitely went into this conference with this concept of the sky is falling, as you said, and it's been great to hear the panelists and the keynote speakers sort of contradict that. I think even Admiral Roughhead last night said the theme, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily coming apart. It's To hear people challenge that is um, exciting for us because we have been living in this headspace for the last few months in the process of planning the conference of, oh no, everything is falling apart and... Um, but how do you feel as, as never mind a part of planning NAFAC, but just as a as a undergraduate who also happens to be matriculating at the Naval Academy? How do you feel about when you watch the news or when your peers are talking? How how are you feeling? What what's your temperature in just a general sense? Are you are you optimistic? Are you like we're we're walking into this uh, this chaos? I mean, how how are you feeling? I. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Um, I think optimistic, maybe it's hard. It's, it's difficult to look towards the future and feel so pessimistic because I'm so young and to, to know that I'm only 22. If I, my worldview were totally clouded by pessimism, it would make being excited about my future job in naval intelligence and even beyond the Navy, it, it would make being excited about that harder. Um, so in some sense, it's easier to be pessimistic, optimistic. Sorry. I think one of the challenges of being an undergraduate student at the academy is that we are, in my opinion, a little more sheltered than maybe some other undergraduate students. I think among the the midshipmen who participate in, in the Foreign Affairs Conference, there is a lot of interest in what's going on in the outside world. And there are other groups on the yard that facilitate these kinds of conversations. But um, midshipmen are busy. We're very busy. And there isn't always, in my opinion, a focus on starting these conversations and making them happen in a day-to-day sort of sense. And especially if you're a STEM major um, like myself, I'm a math with econ major. So conversations about politics and what's happening on the world stage, they don't come up in my classes every day. So NAFAC is the kind of, this is the space where I get to talk about these things um, and develop opinions on them and learn what other people are thinking. But I would say as far as how my peers are feeling, I can't really speak to that because it's not something we get to talk about a lot. Um, there's just frankly not enough time in the day sometimes. So, so you guys aren't sitting around talking about, you know, Democrats versus Republicans no. and the 2020 campaign. and We don't pontificate over that stuff. No, no. no. Okay. Well, that's, that's good. That is a good thing. That's but, healthy. Yeah. In short, I would say I'm, I'm optimistic because I think I'm naturally um, hopeful and I have faith in my peers. I think I... I'm optimistic that my my generation and the people that I know are going to try and enact positive change. Um, whether that means maintaining the world order or not, I'm not sure, but positive change. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and what I just said before isn't to uh, intimate that you're not informed or, oh, yeah. <laughs> or conscientious, right? I mean, you right. obviously you care about this country and you care about the future of it just by what you've done with the choice you made in terms of 
the undergraduate institution you've attended. How about you, Luca? What do you what do you think? What's your what's your temperature on on what's what's going to happen after you leave the Naval Academy? What you're going into? Um, so, so I have a slightly different take. Uh, for me, for me, it's pretty much overwhelming excitement. Um, I see this as one of the. I mean, I think I'm absolutely lucky in the time that I was born, in um, where I ended up, and the ability to make a significant impact here. Um, I see this as the critical challenge and moment for our generation to step up and to make solutions. And you know, this is this is our equivalent of the Cold War, or our equivalent of World War II, or something like that. It, it's not. It's not as um, it's not as clear. I mean, there isn't a blue and a red team. Um, we don't know who the enemy is. I think part, part of the challenge is defining it as a whole, um, defining the forces that are causing this, uh, causing our hegemony to um, sort of uh, lose its um, lose its main place in the world um, that, that are that are challenging it. Whether that's um, certain domestic factors, whether it's uh, just 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 a time thing, or whether it's uh, actors in Russia, China, Iran. Um, some kind of confluence to that, but but what what excites me about going into the service and then specifically being in the submarine forces, um, being at the tip of the spear in that regard, um, pushing and maintaining our advantage, competing, and then hopefully one day informing some kind of policy um, that'll return us to a unipolar moment. Yeah, can I just add on something? Yeah, um, I would say that first of all, I don't disagree with anything Luca just talked about. I am excited, and maybe that wasn't clear on my first pass at the question, but I would, I would also like to add that um, just because, as you said, we're not, I mean, I do feel informed and I think many of my friends are informed on in what's going on in the world just because we don't sit around talking about it all the time doesn't mean necessarily that we're not informed or that we're not ready or um, completely capable of handling the challenges Luca just talked about, about maintaining competitive advantage and and identifying the enemy and and addressing those challenges, I think. Once we get out of the academy and we get to the fleet, we will absolutely be ready um, because of the preparation here and because of the mentality that we grew up with in this era. But yeah, I do. I completely agree with with Lucas' take. I think this is like the Cold War of our time, and I'm I'm excited for the challenge, if not a little nervous. No, but. fair, fair. So yesterday, the first panel um, was Professor Steve Raggi from the Poli Sci Department here having a conversation with. Uh, the Honorable Michelle Flournoy, who was the Pentagon's policy chief under President Obama. And she also founded the Center for New American Security, which is a, a progressive think tank uh, in D.C. Um, that has had a pretty big impact on uh, uh, the intelligentsia thought with respect to uh, military issues. Um, and she did a good job of of laying out the sort of things that you guys might face during your first tour and beyond, right? And, and so what, what struck you? Because I'm thinking when I graduated and got my commission and uh, you know went out into the fleet, the threat was singular, right? It was the Soviet Union. And for the first, certainly my first tour, um, we stayed in the Mediterranean uh, in an aircraft carrier chasing, playing cat and mouse games with the Soviet fleet. You guys are going to face a, a threat that is global. And although we keep talking about peer conflict, there's going to be proxy versions of that that are probably more likely than you actually having a dogfight um, with or you going toe to toe with Chinese submarines or Russian submarines, or you sourcing intel for targets in and around Beijing, right? That's probably not the way it's going to go down. So what I would suggest is 
your challenge, for which you should be excited, um, is going to be more dynamic, you know, than than mine was. So, what have you heard in terms of what the panelists have talked about? The other thing I will say is the vibe, and this is what uh, Professor Ernst was talking about. They've kind of been saying the sky is at once falling, but maybe not. They've sort of hedged their bet because I think, um, in fact, who was the female um, in the last panel? Who, who was... Uh, Ambassador Cornblow. Yeah. So she actually uh, said, I'm looking out at all these young faces and I'm kind of putting out this draconian vibe and I don't really feel like that's fair. So w- what do you think uh, in terms of... Okay, l- let me simplify the question. We all, maybe not a hot word, but what do you think the first real threat you will face is going to be? And let me start with you, Luca. So you're on your first deployment. Where do you think your hotspot would be based on what we're hearing at NAFAC? Um, so it's it's a focus. It's been a focus of my study, um, both here and then kind of some time abroad. But I think I think the main threat is going to come from uh, China. Um, so, something specifically that I think is interesting for us to consider is, um, and I, I did a little bit of my research uh, this past semester on this, is the Belt and Road Initiative. So, so what I found in doing that, that kind of work is that um, China is effectively trying to produce this uh, 16 plus 1 framework that's on the, um, that, that, that covers Eastern Europe and dips into Central Europe. And this heavy investment in energy and transportation and critical infrastructure is not only degrading democracy, which I was able to find uh, using Freedom House scores, but it is also creating a security alternative. So where previously um, the entire continent, well, and mostly Central and Eastern Europe because of some of uh, Western Europe's independence, in a sense, um, where it was previously hinging on Russian cooperation for energy, and that was a critical point of security, now the Chinese are providing an alternative. So now I think I think we think about the South China Sea and sort of the first, second island chain and in kind of a local sense, almost a little too much, I think I think it really extends a lot further. I think if you think about the first island chain, you need to be considering uh, going going past Africa and, and through uh, through India. I mean, it's it's a very broad reach. And then I mentioned Europe because one one could add the same thing. It's not, it's not an island chain, but rather it's uh, this Belt and Road push. And what this will do, in my mind, is um, cause strain on our alliances that have been so essential to our success. And the NDS spells it out directly that the key to our success will be strong partnerships and alliances, and that those must be maintained and developed. And in the face of uh, now China, who seeks to, in its end state, I think, provide a security alternative uh, through this massive investment that's that's disproportional to some of these countries' GDPs, it's it's a significant concern. And... um, when I think about the Navy's role and our ability to counter that, I think it's I think it's a pressure. I think it's a presence, and specifically for me in the submarine force, it's being right at their doorstep. Liz, so Luca mentioning NATO makes me think about um, the fact that there are a lot of foreign uh, students here at NAFAC. Um, what has your interface with them been like? What have you have you learned anything? I mean, obviously, the the ability to talk to uh, a foreign midshipman is is priceless, really. Yeah, I think um, my opportunities to interact with them so far have been a little bit limited. I'm very excited about the opportunity to talk to them this afternoon at the social that you guys are hosting for us. I know in the panel this morning, there was a Moroccan student who stood up and she she was not military, she was civilian, but I did think she spoke to a perspective that a lot of the international students have been feeling, which is that this conference has focused a lot on the American order, the rules-based order created by the U.S. In fact, that's specifically a question 
that you know that was asked during the panel or that was dealt with, which is, is there an erosion of America as a leader? Are we willing to be a partner? Um, and I thought the answers were interesting. But uh, so re- back to what she or her question was. Right. She was just, I think, expressing a perspective that, like I said, a lot of internationals probably are feeling and, and based on some conversations are feeling for sure, which is that this conference and, and the conversations we're having are so America-centric and they are they're asking themselves, a student from Morocco is basically saying, well, in Morocco, things won't work that way. The things you're talking about don't apply to my culture. I think that perspective sort of speaks to how the power is shifting on the global stage really broadly is people, countries like Morocco are standing up and saying, America, like, things aren't going to work that way here. Yeah, thanks for your input. <laughs> yeah, thanks for your input, this but this way. is Morocco and we're yeah. going to do things differently. And that that confidence is not something that was seen 30, 40, 50 years ago before my lifetime. So um, that is definitely, we are already seeing that change, the dynamics on the global stage. I think we'll continue to see that. Um, and I'm excited to, to, to spend some time this afternoon talking to the to the military delegates about how that's impacting their perspective. So how many delegates do we have total? Uh, right about 150. And how many are civilians? Uh, civilians will make up about a third of the conference, uh, so- a little bit more. Along with foreign militaries, we also were dealing with this weird thing called civilians, right? So what has that been like? Because I thought, the, back to the questions, the, the guy who asked the first question about socialism, I thought it was a fantastic question. Mm-hmm. And it, that's really a hot button with my generation. Mm-hmm. This And the question was basically, and I'm paraphrasing, sort of, we don't think socialism is a big deal like maybe you guys used to because it's a different form of socialism. And I don't think that was his point of view, but I think he was just asking the panel what do you guys think? And so I don't remember what school that guy was from or if he identified himself. Um, but uh, what, what have you, again, back to the the, uh, the Naval Institute social this afternoon, I, I will actually be honest that I, I wish we had invited the civilians now that I'm thinking about it, <laughs> right? Because, you know, we can talk to each other all day and, and, and the other ROTC outfits and the foreign militaries who are here. But I was thinking, I think next year what we want to do is open the aperture to the entire conference. You know, and because and, I'd love to hear their perspective on the military. So what what have you heard with whatever? I know you guys particularly have been very busy um, keeping the trains running. Um, but have you had any conversations with the civilians offline that were pretty uh, enlightening? Absolutely. So um, I've tried to make a point uh, every day to talk to at least at least 10 to 15 civilians and uh, did the same thing on our opening event. But what, what I've overwhelmingly found is that there's this um, pretty profound disconnect um, that and, and this is a sort of a byproduct of this generational stay in um, service in the military. I mean, you have families that have been doing this for generations. And I mean, you're, you, you have some connection, not, not as direct as some, but some people are third generation in the military. And so that, that does very well for us to be productive, but it does little to create some kind of connection with, um, with civilian counterparts in discussing priorities. Now, w- Maintaining our civilian uh, civilian oversight of the military is absolutely essential, and I don't think that uh, oversight can be effective unless we have good communication and a very strong mutual understanding of objectives. So, if if civilians are discussing, I mean, some you know, ch- change in political systems. I mean, even socialism sort of rising here, and we're we're still um, living in a different time and not connecting. I, it's it's a problem. Yeah, it's um, what I what I found. That they're curious about is, I mean, very, very basic things, you know, oh, what do you do? Like, what is this uniform? Um, how do you take, uh, what kind of classes do you take? 
do you only take uh, military classes? And so NAFAC is a really valuable opportunity to start those conversations and build some of those connections. I remember I, I was a moderator at a roundtable two years ago, and I still stay in touch with the delegates that were at my table. And we have discussions about military life in general, their ambitions, things like that. So, That's fantastic. How about any interface so far, allowing that you've been really busy, um, is this another element that you're looking forward to at the reception is to talk to? Uh, well, no, we can't do it at the reception. Oh, I keep saying that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, offline after, you know, go, rage into town after the reception and um, and hang with them. I mean, or if you had any conversations so far that have been enlightening with respect to civilian attitudes towards the Naval Academy and the military. I... I haven't had as many conversations as I would like to because, as you've said, um, keeping things moving on time and getting people where they need to be, um, it does occupy – it has occupied a lot of my hours the last few days. But, yes, this afternoon is the first opportunity we have not only to, you know, have more time to engage with the military delegates um, in just sort of a conversational way, but also after the the social is over, we have time to go out into town and, and socialize with the delegates, both military and civilian. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I think – even though I've been busy and not able to spend as much time just chatting and, and getting a sense of their perspectives, I do think um, our force all speaker last night, the um, Admiral Roughhead, he made a great point about civil relations. And he was talking about um, the way that in elections have become more politicized within the military with retired um, military members throwing throwing their hat in for one candidate or another Um and I think in general, at least from the military side, which, again, I, I want to hear more civilian perspective, um, I think there is a growing awakening of the fact that there is this big disconnect that Luca mentioned. I know two graduates from the academy, um, Nick Pariso and Thomas Krasnation, they're students at UChicago right now um, doing the MPP program. And they actually started a podcast called Thank You for Your Service, which is specifically dedicated to discuss. They actually, Nick reached out to me last night to, to find out how could we help promote the podcast and we're trying to figure out yeah. meaningful ways that we can do that. It's great stuff. It's yeah, yeah it's two USNA graduates talking about civil relations and I they have some great guest speakers on and so Yeah, I mean I, they've had some varsity guests. Yeah, they have. Know, I mean, yeah, they're amazing. they're great guys and they're producing great stuff. So that's exciting. This is really exciting that people my age, just a little bit older than me, are starting that conversation so early about, hey, there's this disconnect, like we need to start addressing it and it can't. We can't just turn to the civilians and say you don't understand us. We have to start, you know, from our side too, and and say what can we do to under help you guys understand? Because the uniforms can be intimidating, and it seems like we speak our own language sometimes, and that can really scare people from trying to understand. So yeah, I mean, it, we do this unwittingly, right? Uh, going to school here, we talk, you know, about all the stuff around the yard and and all the gouge and all the you know stuff. The language we use is mids. It gets worse in the fleet, by the way, um, and and. Uh, we, again, unwittingly become segmented in a way that you don't even realize until a, a civilian just sort of shows up and innocently enough asks a very basic question. You know, and there you realize their conception is you guys live in Quonset huts and, and like your Gomer pile or something. <laughs> that always blew me away. Like, no, no, this is kind of, it's a hybrid. It's not like a real college. It's not like state U, but we're just normal you know, 18 and 22 year old undergrads who are getting a degree and trying to have some fun along the way and so forth and so on. Um, so breaking down those walls is really crucial because, mm. you know, as naval officers, you, you can't be segmented, right? You, you, as you rightly pointed out, Luca, uh, you work for, you know, the people. So where, where are you guys headed 
once you graduate. So I'll tell you the cool thing, Liz, that I have learned from the, the two bills is the thing about an Intel career is you kind of touch all parts of the Navy. Um, for instance, Bill Hamlet was in a, in a attack squadron. Um, he was with a SEAL team. He was on the joint staff. He's at, you know, had a cool bunch of different jobs. Um, so where, where are you headed uh, immediately after graduation? I am headed to grad school actually first. So I'm going to going? Oxford for a year. Oh, look at you. Going <laughs> I'm not quite as fancy. <laughs> it's okay. You had a better backstory than I did. So. That's right. They're just going to make up for it and going this way yeah. to the right of the narrative. Okay. You're going right there? Mm-hmm. Yes, okay. and I have um, I've been accepted to a one year program there. I have funding for what's that years, called? Uh, the MSc in Economics for Development. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, but I've, have you ever been over there? Yes, I did a summer school program at the London School of Economics two summers ago. Okay. Yeah, um, but that's London, you know, right. so that's different from the countryside and from yeah. Oxford. So I haven't been up that way right. yet. No, um, we've had a disproportional amount of of Oxford grads on the podcast. Um, because they also sort of tend to be more literate, and so they write for proceedings <laughs> a lot. Um, and we've had some amazing folks, so that good for you. And so that you. that's a one year program, mm-hmm. and yes. then to where do you go? Training? Where's Where's Intel training Intel these days? Intel school is in Virginia Beach. Okay. Um, it's called Niobic, and it's six months long. I don't get my first duty station until is it a Damnek? Where is it? Yes, it's okay. Damnek. Yeah. So uh-huh. um, I don't get my first duty station until I'm almost done with school. And so. you won't know what that is until no, you get I through. No, I don't. They say that about fifty percent are billets to O and I, and another maybe fifty ish percent are um, aviation and squadron billets. Okay. So. So good chance I'll be in DC. Good chance I'll go be go VFA. Yeah, <laughs> I would want. like to be with a squadron. Yes. I think that'd be cool, but because there's um, a lot of different kinds see. of squadrons, you want yeah. VFA. Okay, okay. So maybe write I'll that just down. plant that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. How about you, Luca? Do you go right to nuke school, or are you going to go become a doctor or something? <laughs> no, no doctor uh, in my immediate future. Um, I'll be. Um, I'll actually be working for our international programs office here for about six months. Um, so they do great work trying to send about 250 mids abroad in some capacity every year, which is uh, – I got I was privy to that opportunity. Got to go to China for a full semester. So um, very excited to do work with them and help with international engagements or whatever else might be happening. You know, it's interesting because, um, in fact, we're going to talk to the program manager or PEO JSF next week in winter. But talk about the IPO, you know, this thing with Turkey and JSF is really interesting, mm. you know, because they're also buying the S-400 SAM system and those two things, you know, with this technology we have now, you got to watch that one thing doesn't exploit another thing in a way that you don't mm. intend. So IPO is cool. Um, in fact, uh, one of my old CEOs was the admiral in charge of the International Program Office. So uh, good luck with that. And then you go Thank to you. Nuke School? Yes, I go to Charleston after that and then Prototype and... Uh so when do you when do you get to a no lie ship or a boat as you as you nukes call it? So um, I think it's going to be about a year and a half, two years. Okay. Do you want a boomer or a fast attack? What do you, what do you want? Uh, in in an ideal world, I'd be on some kind of fast attack in the Pacific. Okay. So in the Pacific. Okay. Do you care where your duty station is? Do you want to go east coast or west coast? Um, I I just went to Hawaii for spring break, so I would love to get back to Hawaii, but I know... You went all the way to Hawaii for, yeah. what, five days? Uh, it ended up being about seven. I went, I'm in the Glee Club, and we went to oh. sing over there. Oh, okay, so, okay. Yeah, I went to Fort Lauderdale too. for my first class spring break. <laughs> They're pretty much the same. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. Back in the day, Fort Lauderdale was a spring break destination. It is no longer is. No, they they kind of so. ran out of enthusiasm for... <laughs> Drunk. Yeah, I know. That's a big dream. Um, Teens. Probably not. I, I doubt it's going to happen out of Niobic and I won't get hung up on it. I'll just, I'm happy to go 
really wherever they send me. I don't think there's any bad jobs in the Intel community. But Look at you. I speak from ignorance. So okay. <laughs> no, 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 let's go with that. Let's go with that. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure to get to know you in the process of, of planning this. Um, and uh, very proud of what I've seen you do here. Um, you, this, I mean, we're not done yet. We got one more day tomorrow. Um, but, uh, you know, seriously, it's, a, it's been a pleasure watching you guys work. And uh, I'm very proud of what you've done as MIDS and uh, very excited for what you're going to do beyond this. So uh, please keep in touch with the Naval Institute through your membership. And thanks for being on the Proceedings Podcast today. Absolutely. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay, that's it for this week's show. And remember, victory begins at the Naval Institute. We'll see you next time. The Proceedings Podcast is brought to you by the Bell 407 GXI, a helicopter bringing advanced training technology and best value in life cycle sustainment to the next generation of naval aviators. See the Bell 407 GXI in action at bell.co slash Navy 407.